When Donald Trump attacked the media while appearing on the set of a Sean Hannity-hosted town hall, the Fox-curated crowd went nuts. They cheered, stomped their feet, laughed, and clapped. What were they cheering for? What exactly is it that they are against? What do they oppose? What is the media? One way to think about it isn't through an ideological prism, but as a roaring rapid. Anything that falls into it is swept away, taken by the river, immediately swallowed by the churn, and it's gone. It erases everything that is tossed into it by taking it away, disappearing it. Isn't that how much of the American media functions today? It runs like a children's soccer team and mass towards one event, say the war in Ukraine, and then runs away just as fast, careening towards another. So on one day, Donald Trump talks about building concentration camps. And then poof, it's gone from the conversation. And the next day, he talks about arresting political opponents. And then poof, it's gone from the conversation. It's as if each day is a new, disconnected, siloed reality television episode. In one moment, Meatloaf and Little John can be great friends. And in the next the most bitter of enemies. But nothing occurs between the two to explain what happened and why, what changed. Isn't that what the media is? It is the projection of disconnected events chosen for their momentary ability to sensationalize, to get clicks, to entice, to draw people in and keep them from looking away. And there has been no star greater in this era than a con man, a hustler, a wannabe dictator named Donald Trump, who very narrowly took the presidency in 2016 and then was defeated by Joe Biden in 2020. Well, let's understand Donald Trump's aspiration to be a dictator and broaden it out just a bit. Donald Trump became the first person running for president of the United States as an incumbent president or as a challenger from either of the major parties who refused to concede an election and to acknowledge the will of the sovereign. Even during civil war, Abraham Lincoln understood that if the people chose to remove him from power, then he would go, as did Franklin Roosevelt. Every president 
even the presidents in the midst of our most important and dangerous crises understood the sovereign will decide who is given temporary legal authority with plenty of restraints imposed upon them to make the laws, interpret the laws, or to execute the laws. The achievements of our ancestors are extraordinary. They have given us the oldest republic in the world. And we, as a people, many of us, have become indifferent to it. But we should not become indifferent to the magnitude of the breach of faith and Americanism and the betrayal of the United States, which we should all hold in our hearts with the deepest contempt for the people who did it. They must never, ever hold political power again in this country in any form and in any combination. And what that means is that we, the people of all different faiths and political beliefs and ethnicities, and identities must come together under the most important umbrella of identity that we all share. We are Americans. There have only ever been, in all the history of the world, slightly more than 600 million of us. More than half of the Americans who have ever lived are alive right now. Our story is unfolding. And once again, a generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny, has an assignment to prevent the overturning of the greatest experiment in self-governance in the affairs of human history, the United States of America. What Donald Trump did is an unforgivable breach. He sought to burn down what over a million Americans have given a blood sacrifice to maintain, or as Abraham Lincoln called it, the last full measure of devotion. He has no right. And we have no right to steal our inheritance as trustees of it and take it from the millions of Americans yet born. We must feel and appreciate the connection between all of us in this moment, but also to all of us who have come before. The great moral leader, John Lewis, made the incredibly important point that it doesn't matter 
what ship our ancestors arrived in. Whether it was a slave ship or an immigrant ship or a luxury liner. Because we're all in the same boat now. And that boat is taking on water. Because an idea that had been unimpeachable, an idea that had been untouchable, has been cracked. And what has been cracked is this. The notion that in order to hold political power in America, you must be elected. And because that has cracked, another idea has sprouted. Political power can be taken by the strong against the weak. And understand this. It's a recipe for disaster and a harbinger of evil. There has never been a calm period in American history. But there are eras that are exceptional in their turmoil. Franklin Delano Roosevelt wasn't just a great visionary. He was the most important and exceptional leader of the 20th century. Truly, he was Abraham Lincoln's peer. He saved free market American capitalism, American democracy, and ultimately the world. He was the architect of the American-led world order that followed the most brutal event in all of human history, the Second World War, which killed across the globe more than 100 million people and saw the near extermination of Europe's Jews. Franklin Roosevelt, in 1936, appearing before the Democratic National Convention, said to the assembled delegates that this generation has a rendezvous with destiny. He was correct. It is also true that this generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny because we too live in momentous times. We live at the fracture of the tectonic plates between one era and another. Roosevelt understood the vision that he held would not endure forever. His goal, as he told the Canadian prime minister, was that the era of American dominance that he saw coming, an era of peace and stability, where there would be no more global wars, would last for as long as everybody who was alive on the day the war was won was still alive. We have come to the end of that era and the end of the long lives of the generation that had a rendezvous with destiny. The generation of Jimmy Carter, the generation of President George Herbert Walker Bush, and Eleanor Roosevelt. We all know that there is something terribly wrong in America, and we all know that a momentous election is ahead. Many commentators, including me, 
say this is the most important election in American history, because for the first time we have a president who is overtly stating that he is against the republic, hostile to the Constitution, that he has no intention of being president of all Americans, but rather the leader of a faction seeking retribution against his enemies. He seeks to imprison them. He seeks to lock them up. He is talking about building concentration camps and deporting millions and millions of people. He is talking about deploying the United States military as a police force into the streets to restore order in the name of some event that hasn't yet occurred. And this person is winning the election. All around us are signs of decay, markers of corruption. The explosion of anti-Semitism is one of them. Jews are only ever safe in one form of government, healthy democracies. Jews were not safe in Israel on October 7th because of the epic failure of the Netanyahu government, which has broken Israeli democracy, and thus even in Israel made it unsafe for Jews. And here in the United States, the poisonous dogmas seen at Ivy League schools have seeped into many, many corners of American life. And even in America, Jews do not feel safe. Many people don't feel safe in America. They feel like everything is unraveling. Let's look at something that happened this weekend. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, an anti-Semite, a man who repeated almost verbatim the calumny and the slur of the Tree of Life synagogue killer before he went in to murder Jews with an AR-15 with the words, I'm going in. Musk said the same thing. His platform is Munich in 1938. It is the home of a digital mob pursuing, hunting, assaulting, attacking, degrading, and dehumanizing. And now, because of Elon Musk, the world's richest man, the proprietor of Digital Munich circa 1938, Linda Yaccarino's corrupt boss, we have the return of Alex Jones the tormentor of the parents of the murdered children, the murdered first graders of Sandy Hook. And there was Alex Jones chatting it up with Andrew Tate, an accused rapist and human trafficker. And of course, the bully, the fascist, the music man himself, Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is emblazoned the word truth on his campaign signs, with no hint of the irony that he appears more like a character from a George Orwell novel, scheming, seeking power, 
to destroy freedom. All around us, we see the signs of a great decay. It means something when Elon Musk and Alex Jones and Vivek Ramaswamy and Andrew Tate convene together on a platform without restraint. It means something because our bonds are fraying. The ability to discern real from false, right from wrong, reality from delusion. Democracy requires commitment, and the fight ahead will require a fierce devotion to the truth, to decency, and to a defense of ideas that human beings do not get their liberty from men like Elon Musk and Alex Jones and Andrew Tate and Vivek Ramaswamy. That rights come from a creator above our power to control, to understand, to condemn, to litigate with. And those rights include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all of us. And we must rekindle the spirit in the country in order to defeat the ugliness and the extremism and the menace of the forces who have arisen once again, like they have many times in the past, who seek to take power by tearing it all down. The answer to it is a powerful weapon. It's Americanism. It's the idea that we, the people, can maintain a government by the people, of the people, for the people, that we are capable of self-government. We are capable of perfecting the union, of making things better, and we can do it. We can do it without demeaning and dehumanizing and forgetting the lessons of the 20th century, which are as important as they have ever been to fully appreciate and absorb in this moment of crisis. There is something terrible happening in Washington, D.C., in the United States Congress that every American should know about and every American should care about because the actions of radical and extreme members will make our children's world profoundly more dangerous. It will increase the chances dramatically that America's young men and women will die in a European country fighting Russians in the 21st century. Should that ever happen, it can be remembered as the most unnecessary war that has ever been. Right now in Washington, extremist politicians working in concert with extremists from foreign governments are seeking to throttle and choke off military funding to the Ukrainian people, to the Ukrainian nation, so that they may survive Russian aggression. Let's be clear about something. 
there is a deadly war underway that was started by the Russian Federation on the direct orders of Vladimir Putin. This is a criminal war, an illegal war, and there are thousands and thousands of incidents of documented war crimes, of barbarity, the rape of women and girls, sexual violence, murder, and the kidnapping of tens of thousands of Ukrainian children who have been taken east, their whereabouts completely unknown. Ukraine has been invaded in the 21st century by a far more powerful nation in contravention of every international law that there is. It is a war of naked aggression, and it is intolerable. The United States also has moral and political obligations that should be stated clearly. In 1991, when Ukraine became fully independent from the tyrannical and totalitarian Soviet Union, guarantees were made to Ukraine so that she would give up her nuclear armaments. In return, the United States guaranteed a commitment to Ukraine's sustained sovereignty. In the real world, the fickleness of the American attention span can be a deadly thing. Not long ago, President Zelensky was cheered as a global hero in the United States Congress, a symbol of resistance of a brave people fighting a superior foe. All they asked for were the armaments to do so. And the free world responded. But now, the free world is growing tired. Fascistic Senator J.D. Vance from the state of Ohio said this, We've already given the Ukrainians $100 billion. If they're going to get another $60 billion, what result will be different than what happened with the first $100 billion? Well, I can answer the question for him and rebut the absurd premise of the argument. The $160 billion has kept NATO, has kept the West out of a Russian war of aggression by making sure that war is fought inside of Ukraine. There is a simple truth, and this is not rocket science, and any official who cannot understand this should be questioned if they suffer from an adulment that blocks the digestion of history, that impedes the absorption of fact, that diminishes the ability to summon common sense. The Russian war cannot expand outside of Ukraine so long as Russia is losing the war in Ukraine. But the second the Russians win in Ukraine, the war will expand outside of Ukraine. And the places where it will expand to next 
include NATO territory. Now, Donald Trump's campaign has promised that among the first things that he does, besides seeking retribution and declaring himself a dictator on day one, is to withdraw America from the most successful military alliance in world history. That alliance has kept the peace in Europe after the deadliest war in all of human history that saw the greatest acts of barbarism and man's inhumanity to man in all of history. A withdrawal from Europe will guarantee European war and the destruction once again of some of the greatest cities of the world. The Heritage Foundation was once a great conservative think tank. Today, it has become an arm of the conspiracy to destroy the government of the United States and a Trump second term. The Heritage Foundation is deeply involved in the project to fundamentally disassemble America's democracy. And now, alongside with agents of Viktor Orban's Hungary, an authoritarianist state in Central Europe, though a NATO ally and an EU member, sided with Nazi Germany in the Second World War and with the German Empire in the First, and is increasingly hostile and antithetical to Western values, including pluralism and democracy. Just a year ago, Viktor Orban gave a speech where he summoned the words of Hitler himself. Viktor Orban is no friend of the West and no friend of democracy, but he does have a Putin fetish like his friend Donald Trump. Viktor Orban and his agents from Hungary, along with the Heritage Foundation, will be briefing United States senators of the Republican Party, urging them to cut off military funding for Ukraine. There is a conspiracy of extremism that is as historically illiterate and blind as their antecedents, as their predecessors the America First movement of Charles Lindbergh that preceded the Second World War. Lindbergh tried to end America's draft, which would have devastated America's preparations to fight the Nazi menace. They tried to cut off funding for the United Kingdom. These people have always been wrong. They have stood on the side of segregation domestically, and they have stood on the side of appeasement abroad. These dangerous hours deserve rebuttal and response. The United States government must, must fund and arm the Ukrainian military for as long as Ukraine is fighting Russia. And that war may last one year, two years, five years, or ten. And the American commitment must be this, whatever it takes to defeat and break 
the Russian army in Ukraine so that it cannot cause aggression in Europe, that it cannot lure Americans to war, that it does not cause the Third World War or a massive casualty war on European soil involving another generation of Americans. All over Europe are the cemeteries where America's war dead are buried, armies of liberation. Let us honor them by making sure that there is never another young American that joins them under a white cross or a star of David in a row, an army at rest, facing back home across the ocean they did not return from like their grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers.